You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Rolling on this hour on a Calgary Flames game day. Flames and the Seattle Kraken kicking off a four-game road trip for the Flames. 7 o'clock, Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg. 8 o'clock, Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson have the call right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios for Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Crack Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They are all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Lots of Flames chat in hour one, including hearing from the head coach, Ryan Huska, on a game day where Dan Vladar gets the start in Seattle. Adam Ruzichka will sit as a healthy stretch. Walker Dewar back in the lineup. We also chatted with Emily Sadler for a look around the NFL on week 11. Missed any of that? Google, Amazon, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. We'd love to have you along on the podcast. But we're kicking off hour two by looking back on Sunday in the CFL. A fitting end to a great season of CFL football. The Montreal Alouettes victorious in the 110th Grey Cup over the heavily favored Winnipeg Blue Bombers. And to help us break it all down, very happy to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar. Guest hotline this afternoon, welcoming our pal from Three Down Nation, John Hodge, joins us this afternoon. John, thanks for the time, as always. How you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. And did I hear you use the word basement tea? Yes, basement tea. I like it. Thank you. That's uh, that's our good friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, and they believe me, if there's anything basement related, John, if you need any help in your basement, they are basementy. I can tell you that much. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> uh, how you feeling after this one, man? What a what a great way to end off the season last night in Hamilton. Uh, you know, I'm a little under the weather. Uh, Grey Cup is a grind. I was there for seven days and seven nights, and. You know, like you just hit certain points where you're like, man, I don't feel very well. And you start to think, well, when was the last time you ate a vegetable or like just drank a glass of water? And you're like, I guess it's been four days. Uh, That's probably why I don't feel very well. So, you know, you try to to make it work uh, at the end of the day. uh, But it was great. It was a great event. And kudos to Hamilton for – for putting on an outstanding event, this was, uh, I, I thought, uh, I, granted, I've, I've not been to a litany of Grey Cups, but I thought this year's event was an upgrade over last year's in Regina. That's not to say last year's was a poor event, but obviously the weather was better. Um, even for Southern Ontario, the weather was seasonally just, just, just very good. Um, I love that the stadium was full. I thought the halftime show was incredible. I thought the game was more entertaining. I thought it was a really good celebration of just all things Canadian football. And uh, I, I felt like it was a privilege to help cover it with uh, our wall-to-wall coverage at 3 You mentioned it, man. What a, a great finish to the game. And, and look, we've seen some great, great cup games the last couple of seasons. 2021, an OT thriller Winnipeg over Hamilton last year, the blocked field goal, a big victory for the Argos. And then last night, uh, the Alouettes, a final drive uh, that they will remember forever. Um, what a second half by Montreal and what a finish 
for Cody Fajardo, who was absolutely spectacular when Montreal needed him the most. Well, absolutely. I mean, I, I was speaking, they, they served pizza in the press box at halftime, and I was standing with some scribes eating more slices of pizza than I'd care to publicly admit. <laughs> and uh, a number of people were, you know, claimed that the game was done. They're yeah. like, yeah, this is over. Yeah, Winnipeg, like, they run the ball so well, you know, their defense, does all these things. And, yeah, you know, this game's done. Like, you know, Montreal just doesn't have the firepower to, to come back here on offense. It's just, it's done. And I, I remember saying, really? Now, don't get me wrong. My prediction for the game was off by 20 points. But in this case, I was right. Uh, the Alouettes came out in the second half, got a very quick touchdown, three plays in their end, and all of a sudden it was game on. And you're absolutely right. I mean, Cody Fajardo – had doubters in the media, had doubters across the league, had doubters on his old team, right? Got benched, uh, uh, fans doubting him. I mean, he had every reason to just fold this season or even last off season. And instead, he engineered an instant classic gray cut drive that propelled his team to its first championship in 13 years and uh, I was very impressed with not only, of course, how Fajardo played three touchdowns in the game, but also what he said afterwards. I asked him in his post-game availability, I said, you know, look, Cody, you've had all these detractors, all these people who said you could never do it. And wh- what do you say now? You're the MVP of this game. And it would have been really easy for him to get down in the mud. And instead, he took the high road. And he said, you know what, look, at the end of the day, I, I went down to my lowest lows, and when I was down there, I was still getting text messages, text messages, all the time from people who cared about me and and loved me and supported me. And he said, "That's really in life where you find out, you know, who is who is really there to support you and who is really there on your side." And once you have that group of people figured out, you know, it's it's easy to believe in yourself because you know, no matter what happens, they're going to believe in you too. And uh, I, I, so, again, I was very impressed with what he did on the field. I was very impressed with how he handled things off the field. And I'll, I'll also admit he proved me wrong because I did not think he had it in him to go out and win that game late. And he, he did. Kudos to him. How impressed were you with the game plan overall from Montreal, from Jason Moss and clearly Anthony Calvillo to sort of neutralize who you know were probably the two biggest impact makers on that defensive side of the ball for Winnipeg with Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat, they just never really had an opportunity. The ball was getting out so fast for Cody Fajardo, and I want to give credit to the offensive line as well, but those two guys to not have a big impact in a game like this is, I got to give full credit to Montreal because we know what kind of game records those two have been in the past, John. Absolutely. I mean, this is a team, let's not forget, as much as they dominated the East final winning it by 21 points. The Elohats also gave up seven sacks last week. And further to that, the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers put up nine sacks in their West final win against the BC Lions. And I think that was a big part of the reason why so many people, you know, coming into this game was like, man, how on earth are the Owls going to do anything? Like their protection was miserable last week. Winnipeg's arguably got a better defensive front than the Argos do like this this could really be a a bloodbath and all of a sudden you know Willie Jefferson had a really nice sack in the first half caught caught Cody for an eight-yard loss there was also at the end of the game a uh, or near the end of the game on the final drive a very nice play 
where uh, Kyrie Wilson, I, I believe it was, or Shane Goche and, and Jackson Jeffcoat, I believe, converged on Cody. Other than those two plays, the pressure did not seem to bother him at all. Like like he was able to stand in the pocket, go through his reads appropriately, step into throws. It was a fantastic performance from obviously the personnel at work with the the blocking that was being done along the offensive line, the extra protection they brought in, Cody getting the ball out quickly. And I I will say that I, I think we often consider sacks an offensive line statistic. It's not. It's an offensive statistic with the play calling, the scheme, the blockers, O-line, fullbacks, tight ends, whatever, and the quarterback all being taken into consideration. Also, the running backs were often called upon to pick up blitzes, and the Alouettes nailed it yesterday. And and had they not, I, I don't think they would have returned to LaBelle Provence today as CFL champs. We spoke about Cody Fajardo, and, and you mentioned some of the doubters and the detractors he had after his stint in Saskatchewan came to an end. Are a lot of those things that we talked about with Cody also applicable to his head coach and the fact that uh, I think a lot of people were maybe surprised that Jason Moss got this opportunity in Montreal and now here he is a great cup winning head coach in this league. Well, there's not many guys in this league who have been fired twice in the last four years, right? Yep. Like, like Jason Moss got fired just a couple of seasons, like in 2019, right? He got fired as the head coach at Edmonton. He also got fired at the end of last season as the offensive coordinator in, in Regina and you know, that is not something that we, we often see uh, happen in the CFL, or at least if it does happen, you, you got to wait a substantial period of time for your next shot. And that wasn't the case for Jason Moss. And I think a lot of that came down to his relationship with Danny Machocha. Obviously they go back to the two thousands when Machocha was the head coach and the GM there. And Jason Moss was a well-tenured you know, sometimes starter, sometimes backup quarterback behind Ricky Ray with the, the, the passer depth they had on those clubs. But uh, absolutely, I think he, he proved his haters wrong. You know, one of the primary reasons I believe he was fired at Edmondson was, you know, the, the fiery demeanor he had on the sideline. And everybody likes a competitor, but, you know, when you're freaking out on your assistant coaches and you're throwing headsets and you're, you're pushing Gatorade jugs over – you know, that that's not something that's really becoming of a professional coach. And I remember when he was introduced as the bench boss in Montreal, somebody asked Danny Machocha about the, the, the behavior that Jason Moss had exhibited. And also, to Moss's credit, he, he said he would clean it up. And, and Machocha said something like, we actually have an agreement in his contract that every headset he breaks, he has to pay for it. And the crowd burst out laughing in the media room. But I, I, I actually, judging by his expression, don't think Machocha was joking. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Moss vowed to be better. I was skeptical that he could do it. And lo and behold, to his credit, he did. And I think it helped his team stay very disciplined. They only took three penalties yesterday. One of them was borderline at best, I think, with the uh, uh, unnecessary roughness call on Mustafa Johnson that uh, prolonged an early Winnipeg drive resulted in a touchdown. So, you know, uh, full credit to Moss. I mean, uh, this is a team that was at the bottom of a lot of power rankings to start the year. They had the longest great cup odds to start the year. And honestly, I, I don't think that was a mistake, given, th- given that we everything we had to go on at the time. But obviously, in hindsight, they proved everybody wrong, and, and that's why they're 
they're they're loving life right now, not just as champions, but uh, unlikely champions. How important, looking back now, is it to to see the additions of a Sean Lemon and a, a Darnell Sankey to this unit in, in in Montreal? Because it just it seemed like they took them to another level, and to have that kind of experience and that kind of talent in in the postseason, I, I can't help but look further than those two guys, John, and think. This isn't happening for Montreal if those two guys don't come in midseason. I agree with that. I mean, this team had a couple of veteran defensive ends to start the season. Uh, Jamal Davis was there. He asked for his release and was granted it. They also had Nick Usher. He got cut after his playing time went down a little bit. And and Sean Lemon's one of the reasons why. The other is Luol Uguak. Luol Uguak was the team's first-round pick out of TCU. This is a kid who played defensive end at Concordia at a high level, or pardon me, at uh, uh, UConn, Connecticut, at a high level, transferred to TCU, and they put him inside on one of the top teams in the country, and he barely played last year as a senior uh, down in the SEC. He played like some, something laughable, like 20 snaps for the whole season. And so there was a lot of people – in the draft who held that against him. Well, the Alouettes didn't, and they put him back at defensive end where he was so good with the Huskies. And sure enough, he had that huge hit on Brady Oliveira yesterday, put him on his butt. He also had a knockdown, a really nice knockdown in in the East final as well. Um, And then Darnell Sankey, who I think was just the missing piece. I'll say this, interviewing Brady Oliveira after the game, there was an interview that Darnell Sankey had done for a, a local radio station where uh, he essentially said, if we get, if we get physical with Brady, we're not going to have to worry about him. And somebody had taken a screenshot of a, the radio interview advertisement and, and it was stuck in Brady's locker. So clearly the bombers were using some of what, what Sankey had said and his physicality his motivation and, at the end of the day, Oliveira put up a bunch of yards. I think he had 135 from scrimmage with a touchdown, but evidently it wasn't enough. And I mean, Sean Lemon, the ageless wonder who nobody wanted at the start of the season, had to wait six weeks to get signed, you know, another sack on, on the CFL's biggest stage. And, you know, uh, he, he's clearly making everybody look foolish who didn't want to sign him come the start of the, year, uh, come the, start of the season. One more on Montreal as we – I don't want to go too far ahead of myself for Owls fans. Take the time and enjoy it. But I, I am curious how we look at this team going forward, John, and how we sort of start to assess what next year looks like and the possibilities of this team repeating or being competitive next season. There's always change in the CFL. We know that's bound to happen to any team. But when you look at this Alouettes group as they prepare for the offseason as champions, what is the – the future what's the forecast for them looking for next season at least early on in your mind well i've I've got their free agent list it's not published yet we're gonna have it up on three down nation uh certainly by wednesday morning uh we've also got a bunch of cfl free agent lists for anybody who wants to check them out we've exclusively reported those so far um you know it's it's a long list but i will say having spent time around them this week they're clearly a team that likes playing together, and they're a team with a ton of young talent, right? For all the savvy vets that they added, guys like Sean Lemon, guys like Darnell Sankey, or even a guy like Christian Matt, 37 years old, starting at guard, still one of the oldest active players in the CFL. You know, you look around the team, Austin Mack is back under contract, Tyler Sneed is back under contract, Cole Speaker's back under contract, 
you know, a lot of exciting young receivers. They, they've done a really good job with their draft picks the last few years. I mentioned Luol Uguak. Also, Marc-Antoine Decroix, most outstanding Canadian in the East Division. He's under contract already for next season, local product. So there's a really nice core for them to build around. And, you know, they, they obviously won't be able to surprise anybody next season and sneak up on anybody because they entered 2023 as, you know, the ninth seed in a lot of people's minds. That's not going to be the case in 2024. Um, but I will also say this. If, if this club proved anything in 2023, it's that it doesn't really matter what's going on a year before. Let's like People forget nine months ago, the Montreal Alouettes did not have an owner. Yeah. They also didn't have a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Like, like th- this team had nothing. They had nothing. And now they're great cup champions. So, you know, I've had people ask me about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, for instance. Oh, is their window closing? Is their window closed? Of course it's not. Yeah, the team is old. Yeah, the team needs to get younger. Yeah, the team might not be as dominant as they were a year ago. But if the Alouettes can go from no owner, no quarterback to great cup champions in nine months, surely the Winnipeg Blue Bombers can do the same. And I would also say the same is true for the the, the, the league's other seven teams. Like, would it really be completely unthinkable for the Calgary Stampeders to make some some smart moves and compete for a great cup in 2024? I don't think so, right? That no. That's part of what makes this league so exciting. So I, I do think the future is bright for the Alouettes, but they, they do have a long list of free agents to pare down. John Hodge along with us from Three Down Nation, breaking down the 110th Grey Cup. It was a Montreal Alouettes victory over the Winnipeg Blue Bombers last night. You can find John on Twitter at John D. Hodge. Of course, any of his great work at Three Down Nation. Uh, from the Blue Bombers side of things, this has got to be a frustrating one. I know you tweeted out last night, you know, feeling the difference between the locker rooms, you know, two years ago and then last night. Uh, I don't I don't know how you sell this one if you're Winnipeg. I know it was a good start. It's It's got to be a level of frustration for that group right now, though, to – to be so close to, and look, I'll use the dynasty word. They were pretty darn close to, to being in that sort of conversation and to fall short two years in a row has to be frustrating for that group. Well, and, and in heartbreaking fashion in both years, right? Like yep, Winnipeg good point. held late leads in, in both games. Um, as somebody who was in the locker room in Regina last year after the loss and was in the Hamilton after the loss in the locker room, last night uh that yeah my my perception was last year obviously there was a lot of sadness but but the way i would describe the room was it was it was extremely somber it almost felt like a funeral you could hear a pin drop guys were mostly just sitting around some were getting up and hugging other guys and and kind of consoling them but it was there was really no talking it was eerily quiet it, it just felt like you know, they were sad, but there was a sense of shock. Like, they, they never considered until the final whistle and they'd lost that there was any possibility that they weren't going to beat the Toronto Argonauts. And that was not the vibe in Hamilton. The vibe, obviously, there was sadness, but it, there felt like, and again, this is just my perception, but it felt to me like there was there was anger there. And there wasn't any yelling or, or pointing, uh, uh, pointing of fingers, but but you could hear... You know, from the next room, guys, you know, yelling in frustration. Uh, again, not yelling or name-calling one another, but just, just, just in general, just yelling. Like, they're, they're a frustrated group. And I think the, the reason for the change, my speculation for the reason for the change, 
would be that they know what this feels like now, right? Like they know how much it sucked after 2022 to have to go away for six months and have that miserable feeling, you know, hanging over them. I talked to Jermarcus Hardrick, the team's outstanding right tackle, about it this week. He he called it like a period of grief, a period of mourning that took him not just days or even weeks to snap out of. It took him it took him a considerable amount of time. And I think when when guys first of all know that they've now missed two in a row and when they know exactly how hard it's going to be to to get over this type of loss, uh, I, I think it just makes it all the more tough. And that's why the the again some of it was the same, but but the energy it, it felt different, and and I I at least felt uh, a sense of anger in that group. Did it change anything if you're Winnipeg, John? I, I know that that sounds like a strange question, but I mean. I've seen on social media that they need a new approach. They got to, you know, figure this or that out. And I mean, I, I don't know that I, if I change anything, if I'm Winnipeg, I mean, you've gotten to the big dance four years in a row. Uh, you haven't been able to punch it through, I guess. But yeah, there's a team on the other side just as desperate to win as, as you are. I don't know that there's much change. And that feels strange saying that I know they're frustrated and they're angry today that they've been there twice and haven't won. But I mean, the process is still pretty good getting you there year after year, is it not? Well, I mean, let, let's not forget this team doesn't have a general manager for next season yeah, right true. now, which is an extremely bizarre situation. Traditionally, a team with four straight great cup berths would obviously have their, their general manager general manager under contract, but that's a separate conversation. Um, I, I don't think this club should overhaul anything, but I do think that some change will be potentially forced upon them. I mean, this, this team paid a, a lot of money to get Kenny Lawler back after his one-year foray in Edmonton. And all of a sudden, Dalton Schoen is coming up as a free agent, and, and he's coming off his rookie deal, right? Like, Dalton Schoen is going to need a, a, at least 150, if not a $200,000 raise. And when all of a sudden you start adding in new money like that, it's it's got to come from somewhere. And... You know, there, there. I, I do think that there are some older players on the team who, who probably, you know, you, you kind of have to pull the pin. And, and the team's done that, right, to some extent previously. They moved on from Andrew Harris, for example, at the end of 2021, gave the ball to Brady Oliveira. He had a very slow start last season. You know, the, the club faced some questions as to whether that was the right decision. And then, lo and behold, you know, after, you know, say the midway point of the season, Andrew was hurt and, and Brady was, was a thousand yard guy. And this season was the most outstanding Canadian in the CFL and, and came quite close to being named the league's MOP. So I, I do think there's going to be changes, but will there be wholesale changes? No, I don't, I don't, I don't see that. And, and I think the club would be foolish to make wholesale changes. You have to slowly rotate the roster of course, and prevent, you know, being in a situation where all your guys are getting old at the same time. But you know, if this club can can make the the few changes that that maybe they need to make the books work, and the few changes that they maybe need to make to to prevent themselves from from getting any longer in the tooth, then yeah, I mean, why why, why would you make more, right? And uh, yeah. another one I'll throw out quickly: sure. offensive coordinator Buck Pierce is one to watch because he is a candidate potentially for the head coaching job in Saskatchewan. So there's a chance they lose him to a rival, but if the riders don't hire him, then I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see 
very little or possibly even no changes to the team's coaching staff. Uh, John, great stuff as always, man. You guys really kill it with your coverage out there in Hamilton. Loved uh, reading along with you guys on all the different stories you covered. Thanks for hopping on with us as always. Uh, enjoy a couple days off. Get a couple glasses of water in you uh, and get ready for the <laughs> offseason, pal. Thanks. I'm going to go eat something with some fiber in it. <laughs> Good plan, buddy. Take care, John. Hey. Cheers. See you, man. John Hodge joining us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline coming off of a busy week covering the Grey Cup in Hamilton for three down nation. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll come back on the other side. A couple of uh, Calgary prospects have been making some noise at the NHL level. Connor Zary, Martin Pospisil. They're, of course, in action tonight with the Flames. Uh, but how are their uh, farm team doing in uh, their former team doing, I should say, the Calgary Wranglers? How are they doing in their absence? We know Matt Coronado and uh, Jordan Osterley have been down with the team in the last couple of weeks. Well, they're set to kick off a four-game homestand at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome while the Flames are away. Let's check in on the Wranglers, the voice of the Calgary Wranglers here on Sportsnet 960 is Sandra Persina. She joins us around the corner to get set for a game day tomorrow for the uh, Wranglers and the Tucson Roadrunners. Uh, that, as we're focused in on a Flames game day, Flames and Kraken coming your way later tonight here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today. It's Logan Gordon along with you. We're live in the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios. Game day today for the Calgary Flames. Back at the Scotiabank Saddle Dome on Tuesday night, however, the Calgary Wranglers will welcome in Tucson. And what a start to the year it's been for the Calgary Wranglers and help us check in on uh, one of the now many voices we hear on Sportsnet 960. The fan is part of Wranglers Hockey on Sportsnet 960. Welcome in Sandra Persina this afternoon. Sandra, how are you? I'm doing well, Logo. How are you, bud? I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, we had a, the pleasure of bringing you Wranglers Hockey on Sportsnet not all that long ago. A big win over Bakersfield. Uh, good to be back on the Sportsnet 960 airwaves, I imagine. Well, working with you oh, yes. is the top of my list. 100%. And when I saw Logan come to the broadcast <laughs> booth, I knew, okay, everything is all right in the world, but lots of fun. And listen, I enjoy that we're feeding off the energy that we had from that playoff run. Ended a little bit too soon, I thought, but the interest is there. The team's playing really well. And thanks to Connor Zary and Martin Pospisil, more interest is generating amongst the AHL club. So oh, I like that. Yeah, it was $20 well spent for all those nice things you had to say about mm-hmm. me. But uh, uh, as we look at this team, Sandra, they are coming off a loss Sunday, uh, 4-0 defeat at the hands of the Ontario Reign. But, I mean, past that, an 11-2-1 record to start the season. They're 8-2 in their last 10 overall. And it's funny, you mentioned Zary and Pospisil, and we'll get to that in a bit. But, I mean, this is a team that looks dramatically different than even the team that started training camp for this group a couple of weeks ago. But they've continued to maintain a very high level of play this season. Yeah, really that next man up mentality. And I remember going into this season wondering what the team would look like. You don't have... Mitch Love behind the bench. Matthew Phillips is gone. Jacob Pelche, at this point, he hadn't have been injured, but you assume that he was going to start with the big club. Wasn't really sure what was going to happen with Matt Coronado. I thought we might see him at some point. So as you know, he has joined the AHL club, but I just didn't know. And something that Trent Call said, I remember if it was you guys that asked him, and maybe it was Pat, but basically said, why do you want to coach an AHL team? Don't you have aspirations of coaching in the National Hockey League? And Mm. he said, no, this is where I want to be because he had a lengthy AHL career and he knows what it takes and the rigors as a professional to be successful at the AHL level. And I was taking a look at the statistics earlier today. 
And the Wranglers don't have a single player in top 20 for scoring. Ben Jones the most with 13 points. And yet every single player has been on the score sheet. And then you look at what Dustin Wolf combined with Oscar Dansk, who has done plenty of heavy lifting with this group. Yep. They've just got this next man up mentality. And Jonathan Aspro slipping in seamlessly. Brady Lyle has been an excellent addition. And somebody like Adam Klapka, going into his sophomore year and he's taken everything he learned in that first year in North America and it's coming to fruition now. So we're seeing a lot of good things, a lot of good habits, top 10 in both PP and PK. I think they like the direction they're trending in and I hate being like, oh, sky's the limit, yada, mm-hmm. yada. But I mean, when you look at the fact that maybe it's not the highest end talent, they're just a group that gets it done. They play for each other and they can roll four lines all the time. You saw that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it, it's pretty remarkable. And, and the reason I think it's so remarkable is because of those changes that you mentioned. I mean, we went from you know being really lucky with the Wranglers and even the Stockton Heat that Matthew Phillips was this high end scoring guy for so long and. You know, uh, a lot of Calgary prospects sent time, spent time with the Wranglers, and this has kind of been, at least early on this season, one of the times where, look, you're it's hard in the American Hockey League because you're always balancing winning and the demands of the big club, and the big club has come calling a lot early on for the Wranglers, and I don't think anyone would have blamed them for all the changes that they went through and now all the call-ups they've went through for this to be an inconsistent sort of start. But as you mentioned, they just... They don't have that mentality. They've never let that bother them. And the guys just always have either a next man up mentality or, hey, I'm going to use this as my opportunity to to make some noise. And there's been a lot of guys who have done that. Who imagined this springboard would be what it is? And when Craig Conroy spoke this summer and basically said, listen, I'm going to give kids a chance and you're... Flames fans naturally are a pessimistic group. You know how it is. You read the text lines and you hear from people when you talk to them on the street. Okay, no, that's not going to happen. And then he gives the kids a chance. So if you're on the Wranglers right now, knowing that, A, you play in the same building that Craig Conroy can watch every single night, and B, you're seeing your line mates from two weeks ago putting up points in the NHL. I just read the story. Wes Gilbertson did a fantastic piece. If you don't have a chance, uh, go to it really soon. Stunner. Wes doing something great. What a surprise. (laughs) But he did an interview with Martin Pospisil's brother, Christian. Yeah. Also a player a little bit older than him. And he said it brought a tear to his eye to see the hard work that his brother has put in dealing with all those injuries and coming alive even more so at the NHL. We knew when he started the season with the Wranglers, he was going to be a good player. And then he got injured like 20 games in and Mm -hmm. you were kept wanting more and more. And we thought, Oh, maybe we'll see him in the Calder cup playoffs. We never did. And then you see him again and you're like, Oh yeah, he's just a bag of salt and vinegar chips. Cause I can't <laughs> say what else he is <laughs> yeah, on the exactly. radio, no, I get you. but it, it's just, you see that every night. So if you're Ben Jones, who I, I know people sort of overlook him because he wasn't drafted by the Flames. still a young guy. He's still in his getting into his mid-20s, but he could take that next step. Adam Klapka is watching. I know Jerome McGinley really likes him. Ilya Solovyov, I think, is Calgary, the Wranglers' best player probably every night so far that we've seen him. So knowing that the door is open and you can bust it down and you will get a chance, and look what those two kids have done for Nazem Kadri. Well, let's talk about those two kids because that, that transition is always such a hard one because – I always find, you know, a lot of times the guys that are 
scores at the AHL level that doesn't always translate to the NHL, and you're sort of asked to, I'll say, rebrand yourself at the NHL level. But for Connors area and Martin Pospisil, they've certainly found a great home with Calgary right now. But I'm curious what you saw from them when they were with the Wranglers that made you maybe think this was possible, or did you think that this kind of jump was possible for those two guys? So for Martin Pospisil, anything is possible, of course. <laughs> Let's have that. some fun with That's that. That's my favorite one. <laughs> I knew that he was good, and the first time I saw him, he reminded me a lot of Garnet Hathaway, but a little bit more in terms of finesse yeah. and tight and being able to finish. And we saw that on that incredible goal Saturday where he took the bank pass off the boards and just roofed it, outweighing the goalie. That's him, and he's not afraid to muck it up. When he went on uh, versus, what was it, the Canucks, and yep. he just went versus Quinn Hughes, and I loved it. That's his role. He knows it. And we saw it. And it was just so unfortunate that he got injured because I, I mean, you know, hindsight as they say, but would he have been that difference maker versus Coachella Valley and being able to win one of those games in overtime and win that series and potentially extend that run? Yeah. For Connor Zeri, it was a year of growth last year because he went through a period in the middle of the season where he didn't put up any points. And even, I don't think he scored for maybe it was double digits. It was probably 10 or 11 games. And I remember asking Mitch Love, okay, what does this kid have to do? And he said he needs to simplify his game and realize he can't always go end to end. You have to embrace the creativity, but be able to realize, okay, my wheelhouse also can be in the blue paint. How was his first ever goal scored? Yeah, right in front of the goal. Right there. So, and he's, he's got that combination of skill that he can bring you out of his seat but at the same time, he can sco- score some ugly goals. So it's a great combination that a player like Nazem Kadri he can feed off of that, right? Because both Pospisil and Zeri, they can be a two-man wrecking crew, create tons of space for a veteran like him, and I think that's why that trio has been so successful to this point. What about Nick Simone? I'm curious what his role was with the Wranglers previous to this because we've kind of seen a rotating cast of guys up in Calgary with the Flames and back with the Wranglers, whether it's been Dennis Gilbert. We've seen Solovyov take a couple of of games there as well. Uh, But Nick DeSimone this time around really seems to have held on to that spot with Calgary at the NHL level. And I don't know if many people would have pegged him as the guy to come up from the Wranglers and, and take that job. I think that's a really a good observation. And the way that he was always in the American Hockey League, at least since joining the Wranglers, was the fact you didn't notice him a lot. But mm-hmm. that was for a good reason, yeah. right? And he was always able to munch a lot of minutes. Um, that first half of the season last year, I think they were still trying to find the right partner for him. Do you put him with somebody like Poirier? Do you put him someone with Colton Pullman? Eventually he found a really nice sort of equilibrium with Ilya Solovyov. But I, I think for Nick Simone, he has a unique talent where he's got really good vision. That pass was fantastic over the weekend. Yep. So he's physical. He knows how to keep his players wide. I think he's really good with his stick. And most nights I didn't notice him. And that was for the right reason. So we talked about how well these, these players have done coming up from the Wranglers. And it becomes an interesting... I don't want to say problem for the Wranglers, but it becomes an interesting scenario because as of right now, I don't see any reason the Flames would take those players out of their lineup. I don't see any reason why they would send them back down to the American Hockey League. Uh, You know, will it happen at some point? Maybe. We never know. Pulling in a full 82 games at the NHL level is tough for anybody. But 
say for right now, it doesn't seem like those guys are destined to come back to the Wranglers anytime soon. So who stepped up the most in those absences? We know Jordan Osterley and Matt Coronado have come back down, and we'll talk about Coronado. But I'm, I'm curious, Ben Jones is a guy you've mentioned mm-hmm. a couple times in this chat. I know Emilio Peterson was somebody that I was really impressed with against Bakersfield the other night because you don't just get to be 11-2 and two and lose all of these guys without somebody stepping up. Who's that been for the Wranglers? So you mentioned Emilio. I think with time in the top six, he's one of the best players on the Wranglers because he's dynamic. He knows how to stick handle. They say that he can stick handle uh, inside of a a telephone booth. (laughs) And I remember Mitch Love used to call him Waterbug because he was just all over the place. So he he adds this element to the Wranglers. I've been really impressed with Rory Karens. He's stepped up. He's found a nice chemistry with Matt Coronado. And uh, Ilya Nikolaev hasn't played a whole lot. He was a little bit on the end of that pecking order. But Trent Cull giving him a chance. He's put up a couple of goals since making his debut. And I just, I have to look at Oscar Dansk and the numbers he's been able to put up. He is such a good pro. And everybody, of course, talks about Dustin Wolf, but Dustin is the reason he is at least a little part of it because of the leadership and the camaraderie that he's been able to form with somebody like Oscar who's been around it a little bit, and he knows what it's like to be a pro, and he wants to make the most of his opportunity too. So we talk about it a lot. Next man up, you're given the challenge. I love what Brett Sutter's doing with the rookies. He's got William Stromgren on one wing, then he's got Lucas Siona on the other wing. Who else to teach you but a guy that has (laughs) nearly 1,100 AHL games? That to me, still that number is stunning. So this team is on the right track, whether it be with the veterans who step up, Clark Bishop, Mitch McLean, or those guys who are looking to make an impression and know that the door has been open thanks to Connor and thanks to Martin. Uh, she's Sandra Persino. She's the voice of the Calgary Wranglers joining us here on Sportsnet today. Uh, Flames fans will, of course, be curious to know about Matt Coronado. Um, it was a, I don't think it was a stunning decision to send him down. I maintained throughout the preseason that because there was a path and because Matt had this, you know, this right shot, elite shot that it was going to be hard for him not to make the Calgary Flames, but I think going forward, this is going to be the right decision. I think he's going to be back with the Flames sooner rather than later, but it's eight games now at the AHL level. He's got four goals and four assists. What does it look like from your vantage point for Matt Coronado getting a, another taste of pro hockey this time at the American Hockey League level? I think for him, if we are going to pick on an issue, it probably would be consistency. And maybe that goes back to an NCAA career where you play fewer games throughout a season. And I wonder if that's sort of hindering him a little bit because some nights he is lights out and then other times he's a little bit invisible. So just making sure that he's game ready every single night is, I think, key for him. But what I like is that Trent Call is deploying him in different situations. So... Uh, We saw him score an empty net goal. He's been on the PK. He's been on four on four. So seeing him and how he adapts to more ice and the physicality, because we know sometimes the AHL can be a little bit dirtier than the NHL. So I like that he's been put in different situations and he can only grow as a player. I mean, we have to remember he's only 21, right? And this is his first year professionally. So there's going to be a lot of growing pains, but he seems ready for the challenge. Dustin Wolf is a massive talking point for Flames fans, uh, as always. And I think a lot of people were, I'll use the word frustrated, maybe disappointed is a fair enough word to use about Dustin going back to the American Hockey League level. We've seen him come up 
He's made a start for the Calgary Flames when they were out east in Ottawa. I thought he looked fine in that uh, first NHL action this season. And I was curious because I, I think an NHL regular season game at this point of the year is probably more to garner than game 82 was last season. But still, for a lot of people, I think they wondered if Dustin Wolf was going to start to begin getting frustrated with the situation or maybe if that was going to start to show in his play. And at least early on, and now he's had a call-up mixed in here, and you've mentioned Oscar Dance has shouldered a lot of the workload, but certainly doesn't seem like a guy that's, you know, pouting about his situation or seems upset. He really seems to just be that same old comfortable Dustin Wolf every time he's called upon for the Wranglers. I just think that's part of his personality where he's been an afterthought on so many people's minds as his career has progressed you think back to junior and being one of the last picks in the NHL and he, how the story of him just being in the stands waiting for his name to be called he's used to it yeah he's sort of used to being the odd man out and he just breaks down the door when he has the opportunity but what I really like about him is his reset factor he lets in a goal he just brushes it off and says okay I'm just going to focus on the next one so Calgary fell for nothing yesterday against the rain I have no doubt versus Tucson when we see Dustin He's going to be primed and focused to pick up exactly where he left off. He's already got six wins. His numbers are great, and there's nothing to worry about. This is a perfect situation for him. And I think I remember having this chat. Gosh, who was it with? I, I can't remember who it was with, but somebody asked. Maybe it was Patrick Duma. I, I apologize. I can't remember. Yeah. But as the season started and Kelly Rudy had made the observation, well, isn't he going to get bored in the American Hockey League? That was Kelly's observation. Mm -hmm. And, and I kind of had to go from a different angle and say, I don't think he's going to be bored because he's seeing so much in terms of different personnel in front of him. That's a challenge alone, getting used to all of the new blue liners and everybody else in the forward ranks. You got a new coach that you need to answer to so I just think Dustin always answers the call and there's nothing to be worried about once things get sorted with the big club they do whatever they need to do with the goaltending situation I'm sure he's going to get his chance but if you come down to a Wranglers game you will see he is always the main attraction it's funny listening to the announcements over the PA and people are doing the ow and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I love it, and he embraces it. He loves it. He loves all eyes on him, and I have no doubt he'll be with the big, big club sooner rather than later. Uh, now a four-game homestand for the Calgary Wranglers that starts up on Tuesday against Tucson. We will hear you on these very airwaves Tuesday, and then we'll hear you for uh, a couple of afternoon games on the weekend as uh, the Calgary Wranglers welcome in Abbotsford, and they'll get a chance to take on Trent Call's old team make sure that you're uh, you're tuned in for calgary wranglers hockey me and pat will have your pregame show coming up on tuesday and then a couple of 1 p.m starts between the flames uh, affiliate the calgary wranglers and the abbotsford canucks coming up on saturday and sunday here on sportsnet 960 thanks for the time as always sandra it is my pleasure i look forward to seeing you in the booth tomorrow absolutely take care you too good thanks sandra that was sandra persina voice of the calgary wranglers joining us live here in the doug lacy's basement systems downtown studios wranglers 11 2 and 1 on the season 8 and 2 in their last 10 games set for four straight at the scotia bank saddle dome tuesday and wednesday taking on tucson saturday and sunday afternoon matchups against abbotsford you need some tickets go to calgarywranglers.com you can hear three of those four games here on sportsman at 960 the fan we got Tuesday night's action. Me and Pat have your Wranglers pregame Tuesday night ahead of their matchup against Tucson. And then on Saturday and Sunday, 1 o'clock starts Abbotsford and Calgary live from the Scotiabank Saddle Dome and live 
here on Sportsnet 960. The fan are putting a wrap on a Monday game day edition of Sportsnet today. If you missed it a little bit earlier today, Emily Sadler joined us from Sportsnet.ca to run through another busy week in the NFL. John Hodge from Three Down Nation joined us to review the Grey Cup, the Montreal Alouettes. Grey Cup champions after defeating the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on Sunday. And of course, getting you set for a game day tonight. It's the Calgary Flames. First of four on the road this week. They're in Seattle to get set to take on the Kraken. Dan Vladar, your starting goaltender. Adam Ruzichko will not play tonight. Insert Walker Dewar into the lineup. And Yegor Sharangovich gets a spin on the top line with Elias Lindholm and Andrew Mangiapane. So just a couple of things to watch for ahead of tonight's game. Our Flames coverage starts at 7 o'clock tonight. Pat Steinberg's got your Flames warm-up. Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson on the call tonight. First to four on the road starts in Seattle. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. we got the Hockey PDO cast coming your way this afternoon. Flames talk with Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson. And, of course, the Kraken and the Flames. That's what we'll be talking about on a Tuesday edition of Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan.